Well, Isaac's going to be sharing with us this morning, so I'm going to invite Isaac up and uh, we'll pray for him. And he's going to share God's word with us this morning. Lord, we do thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you, uh, as the Bible says that it would, that it enriches us, blesses us, challenges us, transforms us. And Lord, we thank you for the truth that it brings out. Lord, we thank you for what you've laid on Isaac's heart for this morning. We pray, Lord, that uh, you just enable him through the power of your spirit to, at the fullness of his heart, Lord, that you place there, those things that you want to hit home this morning for us. We pray that you bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Thanks, Phil. Good morning, church. It's good to hear that we're in good spirits today. It was a great, after a great time of worship. Um, for those of you who don't know who I am, I am Isaac, and I am the assistant pastor here. Um, not officially, I'm not ordained, I'm not an ordained minister, but I am on my way to doing that. Uh, and I'm married to my beautiful wife, Emily. Um, she's at the back with um, a stripy cardigan. Um, okay, let's take the limelight off her. And this week, it was my birthday. I celebrated my birthday. Thank you for cheering. Although I feel like I'm getting old now, so I'm just, I'm not so sure about that. However, what I will say is, hanging around with students, they believe that I'm 10 years younger than I actually am. So I absolutely love it. I want to carry on hanging around with you guys. I love that I'm leading you guys. Hey, let's spend some time together more. You know, I don't know where I've got this from, but I've been saying this, that, that I'm a year older and a day wiser in the Lord. I thought, I'm starting to sound like my dad. Um, but I'm not my dad's age. Or, yeah, anyway, moving on. <laughs> this morning, I'm going to be, or we are going to be looking into the event in the life of Elijah. And he was an Old Testament prophet. Uh, and a prophet is a person who speaks in the name of God or by his authority. In the Bible, in the Old Testament particularly, we see the old prophets of old. Uh, they did some really cool stuff. Some spoke to God in the fire. Some parted the sea um, with, I was going to say wand, it wasn't a wand, his staff, by God's permission, and some got the joy of pouring oil over people. I don't know if that's cool, but hey, let's say something you, could, you have done. It's important to say that the Bible is made up of 66 books and different genres. So it's not just one book, but it's 66 books and different genres, and they're different styles of literatures. But this passage of scripture that we're going to be focused on today is both a historical and a narrative text. And as I said, it focuses on the life of Elijah. Now, are there any lovers of history in here? Just raise your hand for me. Oh, we've got a couple. I feel like I've lost the rest of the room this morning. Right, so I'll try and make it brief so you, I could keep you up with the story. So here we go. Elijah was born roughly about 2,900 years ago in a place called Tishbe which is in Gilead. And uh, the historians believe that this is modern-day Jordan. So Jordan is like the west of Israel. So right by um, Israel, as it is today. And Elijah comes into the story 58 years after the era of the great kings, King Solomon and David. And for many years after that, Israel as a nation had been slowly declining from what God had called them to do. This was both spiritually and morally. They'd stepped away from what God was asking him to do. The king at the time of Elijah was Ahab. 
And he rose to notoriety, and it's recorded that he was the worst king of all the previous six. That's not a very good title to have. Um, He was married to Jezebel, and she practiced in the worship of Baal. Now, the worship of Baal was a mixture of all sorts of things. It was child sacrifices, sexual rituals, and also they were tampering with the occult. You see, this wasn't the practice of the followers or the worship of Yahweh, the one true God. But what she had began doing was killing off God's genuine prophets and raising up her own fake prophets to prophesy in the name of the false god, Baal. Right, history lesson over. You did so well. You kept with me. Are you still with me? Great. Well, you see, it's important that when we read scripture, we read it in its context. Who the writer may have been writing to, um, what, it was, what the particular writing was for. In this, in this one here in, um, that we're going to be covering is to the first century Jews that would have picked up this writing. You know, I say that and I will stress that because one morning you might pick up the Bible and read that the Lord said to Joshua, go forth and smite the Amalekites. And then we deduce from that, I'm going to go and punch my neighbor in the nose. No, no, no. Don't do that. Don't do that. The Amalekites were annoying neighbors, but that doesn't give us the right to hit them on the nose or punch our neighbor in the nose. You see, I remember being younger. uh, My dad had a problematic past, and during his time before Jesus, he would, uh, well, he sold drugs. But Jesus took him out of that lifestyle in 1985, and he had a real encounter with God, and he served God for the rest of his days. But one of the things was, was that we had a neighbor, and this neighbor would play music at silly o'clock in the morning. So just really loud, obnoxious, and as children, we didn't know what to do, but I knew as siblings, we used to look at each other and think, okay, what is dad going to do right now? What's, is he going to go over? Is he going to give them a note? Is he going to shout? What is he going to do? And uh, my dad would, um, he would play music just as loud as the neighbors was playing. He would play Christian music. So I grew up on CDs like Ron Canoli, uh, Blessing and Honor. There was another one which says, Making War in the Heavenlies. I was like, well, it's, it's making war up there, but it's also making war down here. And you know what? In hindsight, what could have happened was, or what would have been best, was that we just had headphones for them. A pair of headphones for my dad and a pair of headphones for the noisy neighbors. And that would have sorted it. So we, we, we need to read the scripture in its context. Otherwise, we end up doing some stuff that we're not called to do. I'm just going to have a sip of water. Right, back to the scripture. So if you have your Bibles, please switch them on or turn them to 1 Kings 19, 1 to 18. This is going to be a lot of scripture reading, so it'd be good if you read along with me. I'll give you a few seconds to do that. For those people who are on their phones, it's such a breeze to just quickly flick through and get to your scripture. For those who are turning their Bibles, you might take a bit longer. Are we all there? Yeah, roughly. Great. I'll read from 1 Kings 19, verses 1 to 18. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. 
I beg your pardon. She told Elijah everything that she told. Okay, let's start again. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me. If by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Bathsheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down, beg your pardon, under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. And I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in cloth, in a cloak, I beg your pardon, and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. And I am the only one left. And then now they're trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Saphath, from the town of Abel-Mahola, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes Hazel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. That was the reading of the word today, and that is the scripture that we're going to be reading from. It was a long portion of scripture, but I hope you picked up where we are in the story. You know, just before that chapter, Elijah was doing some magnificent things for God. And it's being recorded that Elijah prayed that fire would come down on the altar. 
And this was up against the false prophets. The false prophets had their sacrifice that they were laid out on the altar and Elijah had his and he poured water on it and he saw God rain down in fire and light the sacrifice. Elijah also carried the authority of God in that chapter of 19 and he ordered that the fake prophets of Baal be killed. We also find out in 19, sorry, in 18, that Elijah outruns a chariot. He was faster than Usain Bolt, I imagine. But it says the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he outran the king's chariot. See, Elijah was in his A game. I might be, don't mistake me, but I think maybe he was the messy of his prophets. Maybe he was the LeBron James of his court. And he was, you could even say he was the five-time gold medalist. He was the GOAT of his time. For those of us who might miss that, that's an acronym for greatest of all time. But yet, in the early part of the chapter of 19, Elijah has fled the scene because he heard Jezebel wanted him dead. And as I was preparing this message, I was just reading a few commentaries, and I came across this one by Charles Spurgeon. And he said this about Elijah. He said, Elijah failed in the very point at which he was strongest. And that is where most men fail. In scripture, it is the wisest man who proves himself to be the greatest fool. Just as the meekest man, Moses, spoke hasty and bitter words, Abraham failed in his faith and Job in his patience. So he, who was the most courageous of all men, fled an angry woman. Just while we're here, did I ever tell you about the story that I got beaten up by an angry girl? Okay, I'll make it brief. I got beaten up by an angry girl. If you want to know any more, speak to me after the service. I shan't say any more on the microphone. Jezebel said, may the God strike me. Even kill me by this time tomorrow if I have not killed him just as he's killed her prophets. Elijah panicked. He fled for his life. And you know what? When writing this sermon, it's so easy to maybe write a five-point sermon of how weak Elijah was and how, you know, he stumbled at his highest point. But actually, that's not what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on God's tenderness towards him, even in his weakest point. You see, Elijah had left his servant down in the town and went into the wilderness, and he sat underneath a broom tree. And I scoured the internet to see what a broom tree looked like, and that's the one I came across, so that's the one you're seeing today. That is similar to what he might have sat under, a broom tree. But it's, in, it's so interesting to see how God responds to Elisha. And we see in verses 5 to 7 that God sends an angel to revive and to feed Elijah. God knew that in his weakest moment, he needed to eat, he needed water, and he needed rest. I want to ask you this morning, are you at your wit's end? Are you having a broom tree moment? Are you saying, I've had enough, and you fill in the blanks? I won't fill it in for you. In a version app, as I was going on it this week, 
uh, a scripture came up, and it was Second Thessalonians 3 and 3. And it says, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. That's a, that's a f- source of encouragement, isn't it? And can I encourage us today that God may very well send an angel to us, but also that God can send replenishment. He can send help in the appearance of a friend, family, or even strangers. See, just as we're going through and we're about to start this book, God is interested in our well-being. You know, friends, just as he was interested in Elijah, I believe that he's interested in us right now. Jesus even said that if you are weary, if you are heavy laden, come unto him and he will give you rest. I want to also put out there that if you are actually in a crisis situation and you feel like you're heading that way, that there are agencies that are set up who are willing to support you with that. But God sends help. God sends replenishment. So what did Elijah experience? He experienced replenishment. He saw hot baked bread and water prepared for him. After he is replenished by this angel, Elijah travels 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. Now, it's, Mount Sinai is known as the mountain of God because it's a place where God spoke to Moses. And that's its significance. Elijah was getting away from the distractions. Elijah was running for his life at the start. But he was getting away from the distractions. He was trying to escape. And he went up to the mountain as he was directed by the angel. He went into the wilderness and went to Mount Sinai. We see at this point in the story that Elijah has a fresh encounter with God. And he communes with God. You know, in our times of real distress and anxiety, we can commune with God. We too can have a real encounter with him. And he hears us when we call. You know, sometimes we say to ourselves, well, what's the point of me praying anyway? Because God knows what's on my heart already. It's not about us telling God everything. It's not only that, but it's also about hearing what God has to say in that moment. We need times of encounter. But did you notice how Elijah in this story told his story to God twice? God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. When we have an encounter with God, God speaks. And in this story, it says that God wasn't in the fire, he wasn't in the wind, he wasn't in the earthquake, but he is voice came as a whisper. I wonder if we could take some time to hear God. It's so easy to get wrapped up in the nine to five and the doing, but actually setting aside time to hear from God. Now, God doesn't only speak in the whisper. Yeah, that's right. He could speak right in the fire as he did with Moses. He could speak in the earthquake as it's all happening. But it's about us setting aside time 
to have a real encounter with God. You see, when we're in the presence of God and we encounter God, we have a real refreshing, a real refreshing because that's what his presence does. He speaks to us. He replenishes us. And I believe that we can encounter God in this gathered setting. We could also encounter God in our small groups, in the, in the twos or threes. And we can also encounter God on our own. But we need regular encounters with God. Max Licardo, a renowned Christian author, said this in a Twitter post. Don't equate the presence of God with a good mood or a pleasant temperament. God is near whether you're happy or not. He is near whether you're happy or not. You see, this quote hits it home for us. Because of what Jesus had done on the cross and his resurrection, that not only are we filled with his Holy Spirit, but we can experience his presence because of his Holy Spirit. This, is, this was the encounter that Elijah had, that he covered his head in his cloak. He was on holy ground. Elijah was replenished at the broom tree. He encountered God on Mount Sinai. And finally, he is recommissioned into the purpose that God had for him. Elijah had a genuine fear. He heard the call that the queen or the princess had made. And he said, I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. But do you see what God said? God told Elijah to go back and anoint two kings and also to call a young man named Elisha who was going to succeed him. The Lord gave him good news and said, actually, you're not on your own. I am with you. And by the way, there are 7,000 who have not kissed or bowed down to Baal. This would have been great news to Elijah at the time. Not only was he replenished, but then he had an encounter with God. And then God said that you're not on your own. Say to the person next to you, 7,000. I'm just checking that you're still with me. You see, sometimes, just sometimes, we can live in our own little microcosms. We can live in our own little bubbles and say, it's me against the world, God. Can't you see? But actually, God is saying, no, you're not on your own. I am with you. And there's also some I have reserved out there for you. You see, Elijah was being realigned with God's purposes for him. It wasn't the end for him, although he prayed that this would be the end. God, take my life. I've had enough. This was not the end for him. God said, go back the same way you came. Travel to the wilderness. And when you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram and Jehu and Elisha. You see what God did there? He gave him some work to do. I want to tell you today that it is not over for you or if, if you were in that place or you feel like you're heading in that place of crisis, it is not over for you. Elijah prayed that he would die and God said, no, 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 no. You're going to carry on with what I've asked you to do. 
But also, Elijah never tasted death. It's recorded that he was taken up to heaven in a chariot. Amazing, isn't that? He had prayed this prayer that, God, take my life. You know, I don't want to continue on. And after his encounter with God, he went on with what God had called him. And then he never tasted death. You see, when you still have life, when you still have breath, God has a plan for you as believers, brothers and sisters. As we are believers in Christ, God still has a plan for you. You can't tell me you're too old or you're too young and that this is the end. No, we're not just existing until our time is up. But we have a part to play in his story. We have a part to play in God's story. And this is the gospel message. That Christ has come and that he's coming to restore all things. And guess who he's using? He's using you and I. He's using the church to bring about that. Christ will come at the end of time. And if we're still alive, we too will be like Elisha, not experiencing death. You see, life, no doubt, has its seasons and they come to us all. But God is working it out for you, just as he was working it out for Elijah. You are not alone. I want to invite the band to come up now. Or half the band, because I'm half the band. But I want to say this, that Elijah was replenished at the broom tree. He encounters God on Mount Sinai. And finally, he's recommissioned into the purpose that God had for him. And as the band get ready, I'd like to say this, that over this next period, um, if you've got yourself a copy, that'd be good. As we journey through this book, it's not only going to be about head knowledge for the road ahead, but actually we will experience God's replenishment that would have fresh encounters with him and that we would be realigned and recommissioned into where God is leading us, not only individually, but even as a church.